Have you ever wondered why your scented deodorant that you put on every morning, why it smells the way it does? Why it lasts as long as it does and keeps you from smelling bad? Why do your freshly laundered towels smell clean hours, even days after you wash them? Well, we're going to explore that today. I'm going to give you a little sneak peek behind the curtain to show you the basics of what happens both inside a fragrance house, but also on the outside as a client working with fragrance houses to create those everyday products that you find on your store shelf. You may or may not know that I worked at a large fragrance house for more than 10 years and another 10 years or so on the client side, working with several different fragrance houses. As a client, I worked here in the U.S. on brands like Suave, Dove, Axe, that's Lynx for those of you in the U.K., and Sunsilk. Shout out to my Asian listeners. And while in Germany, I worked on the iconic German baby brand called Panaten which for most of you around the world is Johnson's baby. And I also worked on Neutrogena. All those products are scented, which means you work with fragrance houses, right? Very logical. When I was working inside the fragrance house, it was flipped around and we created scents for these same clients. So I've been on both sides, which got me thinking. This podcast is about our sense of smell and about living an aromatic life, right? And we live an aromatic life simply by using scented products in our home every day. The scented shampoos and soaps in our shower, the nice smelling dish liquid, floor cleaner and hand soap in our kitchen, the air fresheners and candles in our living room, and the laundry detergent that makes our clothes smell fresh and clean. Now we can debate the good, the bad and the ugly of how some people respond negatively to these commercial smells, but I'm not gonna get into that here today. I have some other conversations planned in the future, specifically for that. So I'm not going to ignore it, don't worry. Here, today, this episode, what I hope you take away is simply an understanding of how the proverbial sausage is made, broadly speaking. I'm not going to give away any, quote, secrets. My goal here isn't to expose anything, per se. It's simply for you to realize how much work and how many people, quite frankly, it takes to get that one apple-scented shampoo onto the store shelf. And why is it apple-scented anyway? It may seem easy, but it's far from that, as you'll learn. This episode will be the foundation for future conversations we'll have on this podcast. I do want to make clear that this is not going to be a fine fragrance perspective, but rather a body and home care one, because that's my experience. When you work with fine fragrance clients like Estee Lauder, Cody, L'Oreal, you're working very differently to how you work in body and home care. If you want to read a book that gives you insights into the fine fragrance creation world, I recommend reading the book The Perfect Scent by Chandler Burr. So let's get started. I hope you find it interesting. Enjoy taking an inside and outside peek into how things work in a fragrance house, the body and home care edition. This is An Aromatic Life, the podcast that aims to shed light on our beautiful sense of smell and increase its profile in a culture dominated by sight and sound. My name is Frau Kagalia. I'm a certified aromatherapist and smell coach who spent over 20 years in and around the fragrance industry. What I know for sure after all these years is that our sense of smell is powerful, yet is so underappreciated. 
There's so much we can do to harness our sense of smell to be well. So join me as I explore this mesmerizing sense from all different angles and learn what it can do for you. Enjoy the show. All right, so before we get started, I wanted to preface a few things. What I'm gonna share here is very generalized because I worked inside one fragrance house and there's certainly subtle variations among the different houses. And I'll keep it basic from a client perspective as well because we did things slightly differently at each company I worked at. Not to mention that there's so many different types of contracts between clients and fragrance houses that I'm not gonna get into here, of course. Plus logically, things have continued to evolve over time as the market has changed. But I know the fundamentals that I'm sharing here are still pretty much the same, and they're probably applied in other industries as well. You aromatherapists will notice some familiar things, or even if you're a graphic designer or you're in some other creative field, the elements will feel familiar. I thought I'd frame what I'm sharing here today through a sort of case study, if you will, through the lens of an everyday body care product that might be created. I'll use the example of an antiperspirant deodorant because we all use that, right? To keep it simple, I'm gonna to refer to it as a deodorant. So to start, let's give the product a generic brand name like Freedom because it allows you to be free from worrying about seeing sweat marks on your shirt or smelling bad. The brand Freedom is owned by a client that we're gonna call ABC Company and they wanna introduce a new deodorant product onto the market. So they decide to give a brief to the fragrance houses. Yes, that's plural, houses, because a client doesn't typically just brief one fragrance house. They brief several houses. I should point out here that there are highly complex and varied contracts between clients and fragrance houses, which we're not going to get into here because obviously that's a whole other topic for another day. But suffice it to say, for the purpose of this discussion, there are going to be three fragrance houses competing for the business of fragrancing one new scented deodorant going on to your local drugstore shelf. So ABC Company wants the best possible fragrance to go into this amazing new deodorant technology they've developed, which claims that it can keep your pits super dry. So it's this amazing new technology and they need a scent to go with it. Most of the time, things will be initiated in the marketing department of the ABC Company. Back in the day, maybe the research and development department would do it, the people who physically develop the product, but that's pretty much gone away. Usually in my experience, it's now the marketing department, specifically the brand team that sets the vision and drives all things related to fragrance. It's the Freedom brand manager who's gonna create something called a brief, which is a document that has all kinds of different information on it that will be relevant to the fragrance houses so that they can create the best possible scent. And most importantly, the brief is gonna help the fragrance house focus. So what gets put into a brief? Let's go through it. And I'm gonna be coming at it from the perspective of the client because I'm the client writing the brief to the fragrance houses. Usually the brief starts by giving some background about why the brand is launching the product. Makes sense, right? So what are the brand objectives and what are the goals? Also, when is the product expected to be on shelf? Maybe you also add what the geographic scope is going to be and which countries the product will be launched in. Many brands are local selling in just one country, but a lot of brands are global and they sell in many, many different countries across many continents. 
So this information is basically to give you context for the project. Then the client will also give information about the brand. What is freedom and what does it stand for? What are the brand values? Maybe they'll share their brand positioning statement and so on and so forth. And the brief will usually include information about the freedom consumer. What's the consumer profile of the brand? And importantly, who do they want to use this particular new product? Who is it for? This super duper highly um, efficacious deodorant. Who's it for? The brief might also include consumer insights on behavior. Things like how often people use a deodorant and how they decide what product to choose. Usually it'll also include information that helps dimensionalize the consumer. Insights on who the consumer is, what they enjoy doing, how they spend their time, what TV shows they watch, where they hang out, all kinds of information to help dimensionalize the brief. I know it's focused on fragrance, but all of this background information can be incredibly important and helpful in developing a scent. All right, let's move on to the fragrance development elements themselves. So the brand will share the objective of the brief. What exactly does the brand want to get from the fragrance? This can vary a lot, of course, right? Objectives can be all kinds of different things. It can be anything from wanting a particular fragrance profile, like citrus, woody, or floral scents, to something more related to the consumer, like the fragrance needs to reinforce a consumer behavior or emotion, something more abstract. But it can also be that the brand wants the fragrance house to reinforce the efficacy of the product through the scent sending the signal that the product is working. The objective needs to be clearly defined so the perfumer can focus and provide the best possible scent for what the brand wants to achieve. So I know for you aromatherapists out there, this might sound really familiar. It's a lot like deciding on the intention for your blend. At any rate, this is arguably the most important part of the brief. Of course, another really critical piece is the price. The brief has to include the maximum price per kilo ABC company is willing to pay for the final fragrance created. Because if a deodorant costs, say, $5 at the store, you can't have a $500 per kilo scent in your product, right? That makes no sense. You're going to put a cap on how much the fragrance house can charge you. As a client, you have cost of goods and profit margins to think about. Then there's the measurement piece. How is the Freedom brand going to decide which fragrance they'll choose? They're briefing three fragrance houses, and most likely each house will provide multiple submissions. So will they do consumer testing, where they let the consumer choose? Or will there simply be an internal team at ABC Company deciding? Another really important thing the brief needs to include is the regulatory and safety requirements. So you might be surprised, but every company has their own unique additional requirements beyond all of the standard governmental regulations. There could be company-wide or even brand-specific additional requirements. Then there's the base. The base is the unscented liquid or the solid formula that will be mixed with the fragrance. So you'll get technical information about the base. In our example here, you'd find out about the ingredients that make up the super efficacious deodorant. 
ABC company will most often give you a big container of the physical base too to develop the fragrance in. In some cases, the client won't provide the physical base because they think it's too top secret. So they'll just put technical information in the brief. That's not ideal, obviously. You want to be able to work with an actual base, but it happens and you make do. And then you might also get information about the packaging. The brand will tell you what the packaging material is made of, how the product is dispensed, the mechanics, you know. In the case of deodorants, there are lots of different formats. You have sprays, you have liquids, you have solids. It's important that the brand clearly states what the formats are going to be. And of course, lastly, there's usually a bunch of logistical stuff, like the deadline for the fragrance house to submit the fragrances. How many different fragrances are they supposed to submit? What paperwork do they need to provide, etc.? Are there going to be several rounds of submissions, tweaking the fragrance each time? So those are the main pieces that go into a brief. There's definitely more, which we won't go into here, but you get the general idea. Each project is so unique anyway, but these are the fundamentals. And I just want to share those with you because they give you an idea of the direction a client is going in when they want to come up with just one new product, specifically a new scent for that product. You should know that a brief is so important because it means that everyone is going to be on the same page. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so the brief is now created and is submitted, in this case, to each of the three fragrance houses. They all get the same information and are now competing for the business for this one little product. Actually, I want to pause here for a minute. I want to keep this in mind. A fragrance house is going to spend lots of resources, as you'll learn shortly, to create one, two, three, or however many fragrances they're supposed to submit, including modifications. And then they're not going to have any guarantee that they'll get the business. They're competing to win. It's kind of crazy if you think about it. Anyway, the brief is received by someone in the fragrance house, the account manager. This is the person who is in charge of the relationship with the ABC company. And they kick things off internally. Now, I'm not going to share exactly how my fragrance house did things because I don't think that's fair to do. But I'll share how a fragrance house would generally evaluate a brief and then determine what needs to be taken into consideration in order for the deodorant fragrances to be submitted to ABC Company. So let's go through a brief from the perspective of the fragrance house now. Let's start with the Freedom brand's timing of getting their product on shelf. The brief says they want to launch this new high-efficacy scented deodorant in September 2025, and it's now January 2023. Yes, that's two years away. These projects are often that far out, even longer sometimes. But the brief says the deadline for submitting the first round of fragrances for this project is March 2023, so in two months, and then again in May for the second round. 
So you have to know that these timelines can vary widely, believe me. Sometimes a client will be really generous and they'll give lots of time for fragrance development, but more often than not, okay, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt here, more often than not, because competition is so fierce and the market evolves so quickly, you're hardly given any time at all. But if I'm gonna be really honest, I think companies just don't appreciate what actually goes into fragrance creation and they just think you don't need a lot of time. And that's a real shame because as I'll share, it couldn't be further from the truth. It's not just throw any scent into a base, mix it up and voila, you're done. It's complicated. Anyway, let's continue. Let's say the brief states that deodorant is gonna be sold in the US, Mexico, Poland, Australia, and Japan. So lots of different countries. Well, the fragrance house will have to determine what perfumers will work on this project? Is it one or two perfumers living anywhere in the world, but who are specialized in scent development for deodorants? Or maybe it's a group of local perfumers based in Mexico, the US, Australia, Japan, Poland. Is local expertise in scent preference better or a specialization in product format better or both? How many perfumers do you want working on the brief? These are all things to consider and each fragrance house will do it in their own strategic way. I should mention that there's a liaison between the account manager who's outward facing with the client and the perfumer who's really focused on creation. And that's the fragrance evaluator. So this person is really the spoke in the wheel of fragrance creation. They're connected to the salesperson, the marketing team, the applications lab, the regulatory department, and of course, most importantly, the perfumer. So the fragrance evaluator is particularly valuable to the perfumer as a sort of secondary nose because, you know, sometimes when the perfumer is creating or modifying a fragrance, they can get so close to the scent that their judgment might get a little compromised. So the evaluator is really there to help give that little bit of extra perspective. All right, getting into the fragrance creation then. You first want to look at the objective of the brief. In this example, I'll say the Freedom brand wants the fragrance to reinforce the efficacy of the product, which makes sense. A lot of times the scent is there to reinforce the efficacy. So knowing that, the fragrance house will create with that as the goal. When the consumer uses the product, when they apply the deodorant on their armpits and wear it throughout the day, the scent has to demonstrate its ability to remind the consumer that the deodorant is working. That's the objective. That piece of information is critical in the creation process. So as a perfumer, I might be thinking about which ingredients blended together give that efficacy cue and at what point in time during the day. The perfumer, of course, has years and years of experience and will know their palate well. So they'll think about how the fragrance should evolve over time when they're formulating. They'll also think about how the scent interacts with a person's body chemistry and sweat. Of course, all of this needs to be considered in tandem with the base that it's mixed together with, right? Lots of variables to consider. Then there's the brand and consumer information. So if you're a big fragrance house, you'll have a marketing team that knows the category well. In this case, they'll know the deodorant brands in all the countries Freedom will launch the product in. I think the brief said US, Mexico, Poland, Australia, Japan, and they'll know them specifically from an olfactive perspective. And the Fragrance House will have a consumer insights group 
who's done the research on what scents consumers prefer in those markets based on anything from scent emotion correlations to scent efficacy correlations. Maybe certain fragrance types give a better efficacy signal to consumers than others. So as you can see, there's lots to consider here, even before the perfumer starts creating. The perfumer will also want to understand the base they're working with. They'll smell it, obviously, to see if they need to formulate in a particular way to cover up an unpleasant base odor. Because let me tell you, most unscented bases smell terrible, especially so-called performance bases, like in our example here, this high-efficacy deodorant base. I've smelled some absolutely awful bases, but they work, right? So now you need a scent to cover up that odor. But they'll also review the chemical components of the base. It'll, of course, depend on how much information the client provides, right? They'll think about how the base could interact positively or negatively with certain fragrance ingredients. And also think about the stability of fragrance ingredients in the various components of the base. The last thing you want is for a consumer to see a white deodorant turning yellow or becoming irritating on the skin. I guess you always have to remember that everything is chemical, whether the ingredients are natural or synthetic. So chemical interactions are important to understand. Big fragrance houses will have a technical team the perfumer can lean on. What's important to understand is that because a base is involved, the perfumer's palette of ingredients is automatically going to get narrowed down. They can't work with every ingredient in their palette. Unlike perfumers and fine fragrance who work strictly with alcohol as a base. So let me be clear, I'm not saying being a fine fragrance perfumer is easier, not at all. <laughs> their briefs are totally different and certainly come with their own challenges. I personally just want to give a shout out to all those perfumers who create fragrances in a base, whether a shampoo, laundry detergent, or candle. It's really tricky. Okay, then there's the packaging, also really important, right? For instance, in our case study, we're talking about deodorants. And there are lots of different formats of deodorants on the market. The product will dispense differently in a spray bottle than in a roll-on package or even a twist-up solid deodorant package. So the fragrance ingredients have to be chosen accordingly. For example, some fragrance molecules are heavier than others, which means they might hinder how well the product dispenses. And you can't forget the interaction of the fragrance formula with the packaging. Just like with the base, both are made of chemicals and they're gonna interact. So you need to ensure there's stability and safety there. And unfortunately, the perfumer's palette might get further reduced. Of course, it's important to consider the regulatory requirements. Besides the standard IFRA compliance, EU 26 allergens list, and each individual country's specific regulations around fragrances, you have regulations based on whether a product is a leave-on product, like a deodorant, or a wash-off product, like a soap. The client will most likely have their own added requirements as well. They might want only allergen-free and or cruelty-free ingredients, for example. For our case study, the Freedom brand wants the allergen-free claim. Regulatory restrictions on fragrances is a whole in-depth discussion for another day, of course. But just know that these requirements do narrow the palette that a perfumer can work with. Hey, I just wanted to let you know about a great free resource I have available if you're interested in harnessing your sense of smell to support your well-being. 
Just go to the link in this episode show notes to grab this free resource, which will explain how smelling can support you just as much as other things you do to stay well, like exercising and eating healthy meals. I share smelling exercises you can do with essential oils, everyday aromatic items in your home, as well as nature itself to help you identify scents that you respond to most that can help lift your mood, reduce stress, and begin to shift your body back to center. So after you listen to this episode, grab my free resource and learn to smell to be well. Okay, so did you notice I haven't mentioned the target price yet? I saved that for last because after you consider all that I just mentioned, you have to fit the final fragrance formula within a certain price point. The target price per kilo you're given in the brief. Yikes. Let me tell you without telling you specifically that this price is generally really low. Obviously much lower than a fine fragrance price, which makes total sense since you can't compare a $5 deodorant to a $150 perfume. So the perfumer's ingredient palette will be adjusted once again. Natural ingredients are generally more expensive than synthetic materials. There are, of course, variations among each group. But the tendency is certainly to go with the synthetic palette, unless the client specifically states in the brief that they require them to use a certain percentage of natural ingredients. In our example, the perfumer has to think about which ingredients will perform best to reinforce the efficacy cue. They might think about the long-lasting properties of certain ingredients and use the ones that give the efficacy cue all day long. Sometimes encapsulation technologies are used so the fragrance bursts over time, but technology is expensive, and unless you're selling a lot of fragrance, it might not fit into the parameters of the brief, especially the target price. So I lied. The price isn't actually the last thing you have to think about. Remember, I told you the fragrance houses are competing for business. Well, that means there are going to be a lot of fragrance submissions competing for one spot in the final product. So the fragrance house has to carefully consider how their submissions are going to be judged. Let's assume they're going to put the deodorant submissions from all three fragrance houses in front of the target consumer. They'll probably do a series of consumer tests to eliminate and narrow down the submissions. The brief will clearly state what they're evaluating the fragrance and the final product for. So those are two different things that you're being judged on, probably along with a few other things, but let's just keep it simple here. If you're just being judged on the fragrance performance, in the case of our efficacious deodorant, that might be how good the product smells out of the package. You know, when you pull the top off and smell it in the store to see if you like it, or it could be how it smells in use as you're applying the product. You could be judged on that criteria which smells best, or even after use as you go about your day, which smells best after a period of time. Those are just three ways to evaluate the fragrance alone. But the Freedom brand is selling a finished product, which just happens to be scented. So most often the final judgment will be based on which fragrance submission gave the finished product the highest liking and also the highest efficacy score because those are highly correlated anyway, right? Because if a deodorant is highly efficacious, if it keeps your armpits dry and you don't smell bad, then you'll like the product, right? But you'd be surprised. Sometimes a product with an average scent score gets the highest overall product rating. 
then the client might have to look deeper into the scent only scores to determine which scent to go with. So knowing the parameters of how you'll be evaluated by the brand is so key. It's basically the clue to how you'll win the competition. So really that's all of it. That's what I wanted to share. I hope this hasn't been too terribly complicated to understand. That wasn't my intention. But really, just at the top level, this is how it works inside a fragrance house and outside on the company brand side. What I hope you realize is that fragrance development for body and home care is a team effort, led by the creativity of the perfumer or perfumers in many cases, and a whole team of people that help give input. The sales, marketing, consumer insights, evaluator, technical, regulatory, and application teams. I'll leave you with this one final thought. The next time you pick up a scented product in your home and you use it, whether that's your shampoo, your hand soap, or your laundry detergent, I hope you'll take a moment to appreciate the scent and specifically what went into creating it. Hopefully you enjoy it just a tiny bit more because a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into making it to what it is so you could experience a moment of joy. Thanks for being here. If you have any comments, leave me a voice message or send me an email. I always love to hear. Be well. Thank you for joining me on An Aromatic Life. If you're interested in learning more about your sense of smell from all different perspectives, subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends too. And it would be really helpful if you could rate the podcast so it helps others find it too. I also invite you to check out my website, falkaromatherapy.com, where you'll find information about workshops, courses, and other programs I offer. And make sure you grab my free audio training, How to Smell to Be Well, which you can download from my website. Until next time, remember to smell everything and have a wonderful day.